Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode one of the Hodge Pod. I am your host, David Hodge. Today, I am joined by producer Mike, and we are getting into all things NBA, including the boycott, the NBA draft lottery, and the upcoming NBA draft, which we hope will happen sooner rather than later, but at this point, we don't know. At the time when I recorded this, it was Friday night, August 28th, right when news broke about Chadwick Boseman's passing. So me and Mike didn't really have time to process it and really get into it when we were recording. Uh, So I did have something that I wanted to say about him because a lot of his movies were important to me. And here we go. The passing of Chadwick Boseman has brought his work as an iconic entertainer to an unfortunate close far sooner than our culture anticipated. I did not know him personally, though the people that did who have spoken have been consistent in their posthumous praise of the person that he was. I, however, was personally impacted by his work as a leading actor. He brought a fresh face and spirit to the film industry as a king, a star, a barrier breaker, and a leader. I wanted to acknowledge that his role as King T'Challa in the movie Black Panther brought a beautiful representation of black prosperity to so many who have already and will cling to it in the future, showing a generation of youth that great leaders and heroes do not and should never all look the same, nor should they ever have to sacrifice their identity or culture to make a positive impact in our communities and our world. In the movie 42, Chadwick Boseman personified what it looks like for a man or woman to take on the weight of, and burden of being a great representative of an entire culture's identity. Coming across the screen was so much of the pain that Jackie Robinson had to carry and overcome to be the first black player in Major League Baseball, all while becoming an all-time great on the field on top of breaking the color barrier. All of these movies and moments within them touched me so deeply and gave me moments of hope in a time when hope is becoming more and more scarce and expensive. So thank you, Chadwick Boseman, because the world is all the better because of your work. So yeah, that's my statement, and 2020 is just one giant kick in the nuts. So without any further ado, me and producer Mike, let's go. So, Bubble Watch, hashtag Bubble Watch, NBA this week decided that uh, in a very righteous and bold move and brave move, they felt like they need they their best option in order to impact their communities and change the world around them would be to not play basketball games. Um, the... The crazy thing about all of this is that everything has changed so fast, right? Oh, gosh, every day. Yeah, so saying here on a Friday evening that this story is kind of, uh, it feels like if this story was a wave that it's already crested, and I feel like it it hasn't at the same oh, gosh, time no, like yeah. it's about to turn into a right even bigger gigantic wave so um the nba players and the play the players association and the league agreed to terms 
of their restart. I don't know if you've seen this yet. Mm-hmm. They're starting it, uh, at well, what will be for us tomorrow. Yeah. So they're starting back tomorrow um, on the principles or basically the, the terms they agreed to were three specific things, which was more local involvement, which is very important. Well, can we, can we back up just like super brief? Yeah. Because sure. just, just to, for people to get the timeline, like Jacob Blake was, uh, was uh, shot seven times in the back by a police officer in the Wisconsin area, Kenosha, Wisconsin. And uh, he, at this point, what we know is that he is on the mend, which is a weird thing to say. Like there's some reports that he could be paralyzed from the waist down, all this other stuff. Uh, And from what we know, the, the Kenosha PD, as of like some days ago, a couple of days ago, weren't being really forthcoming with the details of the investigation related to that. There haven't been a lot of details being uh, having been put out there about what they can share, what they can't share, all those different things. So fast forward to uh, the the NBA players uh, got to a point because, you know, I was listening to another podcast where somebody was talking about this. Like you have a lot of people who decided to go into this bubble and wanted to make this about social change, social justice and so forth with Breonna Taylor's names on their lips, you know, and so many countless others. Well, now, without being able to fully breathe and really, like, realize what they're fighting for in that in that moment, they're in a position where now they're having to fight for change for B- Jacob Blake, right? And so they're in a situation where, like, they feel like they, you know, from what you can read in the reports, where they don't know what to do. So don't know what to do, don't know how to feel, and and, and those are conversations that many that you know many people who are listening could have with any number of people in their circle who are uh, black and would probably have that they would probably feel that same feeling. What I would assume that a lot of the NBA players were feeling. So in the midst of that, they decided we're not playing games tonight. Right, the first domino to fall was uh, I guess not uh, unironically were the Milwaukee Bucks. They decided not to play. Uh, that night, right? And that was like a couple nights ago. They decided not to play that night. Um, and then it was a d- domino effect. Uh, they dis- uh, The next team decided to to uh, boycott the game. The next team decided to boycott the game. The next team decided to boycott the game. And it has now kind of far reached into even other sports, which I, I'm, I'm assuming we'll get into later on. But at present, um, there were in between all of that, there were uh, there were murmurs as to whether or not the NBA uh, bubble would start back up essentially because we're in, not in the middle of the playoffs, but still kind of sort of in the beginning of the playoffs and almost the middle. I mean, we're yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much in, you know, in the middle of the playoffs. And so um, at this point, at this point, there was a lot of talk as to whether or not the NBA bubble would continue if players would come back onto the court or they would just shut the whole thing down and boycott the rest of the bubble. Uh, there wasn't really much talk of what they wanted uh, and things like that. There was an internal survey that was taken, and we know for sure that the Clippers and the Lakers decided that they didn't want to play. But there was a lot of other players that did. And at this point, there have been a lot of conversations that have been had. But where we are today, as of Friday, uh, August 28th, they are going to be playing starting back playoff games on Saturday, August 29th. And there are a list of a bevy of things that the NBA has chosen um, to take on 
as a part of the, their, the social justice demands that players have been asking for. So just wanted to give people context if they didn't already have it. Yeah. So to all of our numerous listeners out there, um, yeah, so SI's Chris Mannix actually kind of reported on the the meetings inside the bubble during this time, which were obviously very intense um, because they deal with such intense matters. But basically, the way that he worded it was the Lakers and Clippers were voiced that they were ready and prepared to leave. Right. And no other team was really quite there yet. And since then, uh, since they're, they're meeting on, I'm like, this all feels like it's happened like in within like two days, but I, so I can't, I can't get my, my day straight. I right. think it was Thursday I mean, morning. As you said, like, I mean, they're meeting hourly things are changing. Yeah, exactly. So Thursday morning when they had their, I think it was like around 11, they had their second meeting. That's when they established that everybody pretty much agreed that moving forward, the the right decision for them was to play out this postseason. And I personally, I think that's probably the best decision for them so mm-hmm. that they don't shred their collective bargaining agreement and have to renegotiate that. I feel like that would be a bad move. Yeah. From a money standpoint, most definitely, I think there would be some sacrifices that would have to be made, be made. Yeah. I think, uh, I, I don't know if you mentioned, we mentioned this before we started before we hit record or not, but LeBron and CP three, Chris Paul, uh, spoke to Obama, which when I saw that headline, I was like, must be nice to have, to have his number. Like, Hey man, let's see what yeah. Obama has to say about this. I, I heard uh, hey Chris a dude, get Barack on the phone. <laughs> I I heard a dude one time say, "Yeah, we invited Obama to come on our show. It was like a like a sponsored network show, and he declined. But we were like kind of happy because we heard that whenever Obama's people actually take the time to decline <laughs> things, it's like a it's actually like a compliment in a way. Right, right. Like he doesn't even, they don't even respond to everything. Right, right. So that's pretty impressive that they're able to just dial him up. Get Barry. Get, yeah. Get Barack. <laughs> Barack on the phone. Um, so here is what the league and the players have agreed upon to um, institute as far as changes in moving forward. So uh, this is from a Bleacher Report article, but it says among the initiatives agreed to, the league and players will immediately establish a social justice coalition with representatives from players, coaches, and governors that will be focused on a broad range of issues, including increasing access to voting, promoting civic engagement, and advocating for meaningful police and criminal justice reform. The second initiatives required team governors to work with local election officials in cities where the league franchise owns and controls the arena property to convert those facilities into an election facility for the 2020 general election to allow for a safe in-person voting option for communities vulnerable to COVID. Basically turning arenas and maybe practice facilities into voting polling places. Facilities. Yeah. Um, It says team governors must work with local officials to find another election related use for the facility, including voter registration and ballot receiving boards. If the deadline to set up voting in an arena is passed, the final initiative will see the league and players work with broadcast partners to create and include advertising spots 
in every remaining playoff game that will be dedicated to promoting greater civic engagement in national and local elections and raising awareness around voter access and opportunity. So it's pretty clear to me that the when these players met, they realized, I mean, they're all pretty smart, right? Like you don't get to be a professional, one of the best in the world at what you do by just being an idiot. I'm sure some people, some I'm not saying every NBA player in history has been a genius, but sure. um, it seems like they realized they needed to be more organized mm. and they needed to kind of drill down on what, what it they, is that they want. Yeah. What the changes they wanted. And it seems like specifically um, voter reform and, and registration and everything is something that the players are very passionate about. Right. Which Especially some is, of the bigger ones like LeBron. We all know that he's got, He's got a um, a organization either that he's working with or that he created himself. I'm not sure that is focused solely on getting people to vote. Yeah. So LeBron being the 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 LeBron James thing is kind of weird because Stephen A is saying that LeBron was almost kind of kind of side, like pushed to the side in a lot of these discussions, mm. and he was honestly kind of upset at how the discussions had taken place interesting he almost felt like this is what Stephen a smith said mm-hmm. and i am obviously peri- paraphrasing but you have to with Stephen basically a. yeah exactly um basically he felt like he was kind of being shut out almost like his like it it was it was kind of this whole almost like he had a complex Mm. like the younger players weren't necessarily like doing exactly what he said in in a certain way. And so he got kind of mad and stormed out of one of the meetings. Um, So it was, it was a, sounds like it was a really interesting dynamic. Mm. I think from, from what I've heard uh, from like insiders and uh, like on podcasts and read in articles, people like Jalen Brown, and George Hill obviously are kind of leading this. Interesting. The yeah, I I, this. I did hear that George Hill did not actually want to come back. He was one of the people who did not want to come back. Yeah. So, and that was another part of this dynamic is that they were all pissed at Milwaukee, like for boycotting. Very, very mad. No, not not for the action, but the way they went about doing it. Interesting. Um, I didn't. I didn't see this, this because report. they didn't tell anybody. Like so, I did think it was interesting. To that point, I did think it was interesting. That was one of the things that came across my head, in my mind when I saw it. When you saw the videos of it, the other team was on the court. Yeah, and Milwaukee just didn't come out. Yeah, exactly. So they didn't tell anybody until it was basically time. It would have been time for them to for tip off that they were doing this, and apparently. Like some of the players were even like dressed out for the game, mm. so I think this was was one of the spur of the moment decisions that came about from mostly from George Hill. I, uh, from what I've heard, he was he was kind of the main driving force behind their their movement to not play that game, that mm. game five. But they didn't tell Orlando. I think at the time, other teams were even practicing for their next game on other courts and they didn't know it was like a bomb went off Mm. and a lot of the players were upset that 
basically they weren't organized about it. They just right. kind of made a decision and right. move forward. But the, the cool thing about it is here's what, here's what I thought was, was really cool because the NBA is, has historically been known in, especially within the past few years, been known as this progressively left leaning liberal league in a lot of their stances on political talking points, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the fact that they did it and people in other leagues followed suit, I thought was really special. Yeah. And I think to your point, um, even with, and I think some of that has to do some of it, you know, not, not every, you know, I don't want to make it seem like every, every uh, black person is, you know, thinks the same about politics and so forth because they don't. But at the same time, when you do have a, a league that is so heavily African-American black, right. It, it isn't surprising. I don't, you know, to say that that many people would be on the side of, of uh, some of these social justice issues that they are on the side of. Right. Yeah. Um, But to your point, it has been interesting to see how this has mushroomed into all these other leagues, leagues that don't have nearly as many African-Americans like this to see, to see the MLB, you know, like do a moment of silence and then all the players walk off the, I don't even remember which team it was. All the players walk off the field. Multiple teams would do that. So yeah. And when you look at that, it's like so crazy because when you're looking at it, it's like all white players. And then they're making that decision to do that. So like this is mushroomed like in such a heavy way that WNBA uh, even, you know, and, and how they've uh, been handling some of that, but you know, which isn't, and I hope that doesn't sound reductive because honestly the WNBA in a lot of ways has led even before the NBA and a lot of that stuff. And and it seems like pretty much they're very outspoken. Yeah. Like it's good. It's, it's rolled over into tennis, right? Like uh, the, uh, the young, the young um, uh, Japanese, uh, Japanese black American um, tennis player pretty much decided she wasn't going to, I can't remember her name right now, decided she wasn't going to play. I can't either. I feel like an idiot. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. She dates uh, or used to date uh, Corday uh, YBN. But anyways, um, so like it has mushroomed into all of these other sports. Uh, I think with the exception of the NHL, which no, no, the NHL postponed games. <laughs> okay, so they so they finally got on board because wasn't there the one yeah. guy that was like crying because he didn't feel like he was getting much support from the NHL? No, the NHL actually like all their games one day, I think. So Naomi Osaka, N- was yeah, Naomi Osaka, good job, man. Yeah, so um, the NHL postponed all their games Thursday. Okay, August twenty seventh. It was after um, the other ones, though, right? Uh yeah, so yeah, that's what I thought. So the NBA did it on Wednesday afternoon, and Wednesday night baseball followed suit. Not all the games, but certain games. And the games that didn't postpone, uh, some of the black players still sat out, and their teams mm-hmm. supported them in that. So, and their teams had like official statements about that, which I thought was. I mean, it's the bare minimum, but it, it I I think that's necessary. Like, if your players right. going to take a stand like that, it's the absolute them. bare minimum. But you're because yeah. you're talking about you're talking about multi billionaires that probably, which again is not to paint every millionaire billionaire with the same brush, but like, 
So there's a lot of people who have a lot of money who are Republican. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there which is, isn't to make there, which isn't to make this movement like a Republican or Democratic thing, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. And my my favorite story involves my favorite team, the Los Angeles Dodgers. So Mookie Betts comes in to the clubhouse Wednesday afternoon, and they're getting ready for their game against the San Francisco Giants. And Mookie says, "He, you know, they have a team meeting. Mookie is like, guys, he he is, I think he's the only African-American on the team. And I may be wrong in that. But it's not surprising if, considering the yeah. lack of numbers in MLB overall. Correct. But he, he's the best player on the team. Right. But he, he, um, he is the only African-American, I believe. I could be wrong about that, but from what I know. And he says, guys, like, essentially, this is what Dave Roberts said. And Dave Roberts is half, half black. He's like, he's Blasian. Okay. So, um, the, the manager of the team. And he said, basically, Mookie was like, guys, I, I want y'all to play tonight. It's fine. I just don't feel right. I feel like it would be wrong for me to go out there and play tonight. Right. Like, it just doesn't feel right. Clayton Kershaw, who immediately, he was the first person he stood up, and it was his night to pitch, right? Because he's a starting pitcher. It was going to be his night to start. So he was invested in this game, especially in a 60-game season. He's only He's got, like, one almost one-third of his stars. He has to make them count. He was prepared to start, and he said, he stood up and he said, no, man, if you're not playing, none of us are playing. Mm. And he essentially, um, you know, Clayton Kershaw is like a pretty conservative person. Like he's, I think he's, he is a Christian man. Like I think he's Methodist. Okay. I read somewhere. Um, so for all my Protestants out there who know anything about uh, churches, uh, Methodist is is a little bit more uh, progressive of a denomination, yeah. but the uh, but Clayton Kershaw is he's a pretty mild mannered person, and for him to have his teammates back like that and with these situations be outspoken about it, I thought was honorable, and I thought it was really cool that Mookie uh, Mookie was willing to sit out and not pressure his teammates. Mm to do so to support him but this the whole team had his back anyways and when i thought like man like the starting pitcher that night was the guy who who was like no i'm not playing like if, mm-hmm. if you're not mm-hmm. playing i'm not playing yeah like that i thought that was like the most from all the stories i heard that one to me like maybe it's because it's the team that i like but i thought that one was the one that that really kind of touched me yeah because it seemed like kind of this weird watershed moment, at least in that clubhouse where they, a team kind of came together for a cause that was bigger than sports. Right. And a guy, two guys who were probably extremely different from one, from one another stood up for one another in certain ways. Cause Mookie did because he wasn't about to pressure or put public cl- put public pressure on his teammates to yeah, yeah. do the same thing because he was like, if y'all, his words were, if y'all play tonight, I want to cheer you on. Like, I'm not going to be there like sulking or anything like that. I just don't feel right playing. 
Um, and for him to do that and his team to have his back, I thought it was pretty cool. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think I was listening to uh, Larry Wilmore talk about this and, and I think there's some truth to it when everybody is doing the same thing at the same time, you know, when it comes to like kneeling before the national during the national anthem isn't really a protest anymore because if everybody's doing it, you're more so just, it's just a demonstration. Um, But when you're in a situation where you're willing to put something on the line, even if you're the only person to do it, that makes it, that's like a huge thing. Right. And so a Mookie Betts who, is essentially in a position where he would be the only person making a certain move saying like, I understand you guys got to do this, but I can't. Right. Mm -hmm. And then everybody's saying, you know what, we're going to rally around you in order to be able to, because you're a part of us. Right. Um, They made an issue that Mookie felt on his own level and they made it a a them issue, which it always is. But uh, what generally happens is that, uh, blacks African Americans feel the brunt of that more than more than others, and so to have a team that you commune with uh, for hundred something games a year uh, be behind you and only sixty, I think this year, uh, yeah, you know, is a big deal. So, and Clayton went went out the next day, and it was a seven inning game, but he pitched six scoreless innings. There you go. So he backed it up. Yeah, he just got a day's worth of rest. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, man, I I thought that was really interesting, and I thought it was really it. That's the the thing with me because you know you see with what Donald Trump says about the NBA and and all these far right leaning people basically just try to discredit it, but to see all these other leagues step up and join in meant something oh yeah most definitely. the least and most it, definitely and it didn't i feel like it let those players may, maybe maybe they're so isolated right now in a bubble i don't know what that's even like by the way that mm-hmm. has to be mentally its own like journey that is different yeah. to be that isolated but maybe they don't feel like that but i feel like in my head if i was in that position and we did that as a business like if it, if a company put themselves out there like that say the NBA is a business and the company did that and all these other companies followed suit and did something akin to that it would show me like oh I'm not crazy we're mm. not in the wrong like people are supporting us this isn't we don't feel like we're all by ourselves in this yeah. you know yeah and not yeah. that they should have stopped if they did feel like that but to see their that support from other sports leagues I think is crazy yeah most definitely um, in that aspect but um yeah so so the world is the sports world right now is in a really interesting time the whole world is in an interesting time and sports is uh definitely stepping up to the proverbial plate in how they are and how they are dealing with it it's no longer just a entertainment for entertainment's sake you know but the whole world yeah. is crazy. Like, you know, before we started recording, we, re- we found out that Chadwick Bozeman died. So, you know, 2020 is just, it's on one. On one indeed. Yeah. Um, so I guess with those statements made, where do you think, I mean, and we don't have to get in the nuts and bolts of this because obviously it's just conjecture at this point, but 
where do you think the next few weeks of maybe specifically the NBA or sports in general, like, do you have, do you feel like there's anything you want to see? Like when I read out those three items that the NBA players association and the owners agreed to, like, is that like, Oh man, if that gets done, if that actually happens, like that's a great starting point. Or is there, do you think there's going to be more that happens? Um, yeah, I, I'm interested to see how some of those things actually work out, you know, like the, the polling places, right. You know, like a polling place, because say for instance, they used the, um, the time Warner cable arena or spectrum center, you know, which is the, the arena that the Charlotte Hornets plays in as a polling yeah. place. Um, there are probably not that many people who live that close to the Charlotte sports arena that need that extra place to vote. And I say that, I say that to say like the people who live super close to the spectrum arena are probably people who are well to do and can get to another place to, to can get to another polling place. Like yeah. generally right or in the, when you're talking about districts right around like, and I thought about this, there's there in, in a lot of places where you're talking about like right in the downtown area, you're talking about a polling place that are probably easy to get to. Um, now, it, it'll it'll just be interesting to say that, which isn't to say like, I, I just hope it's not performative, I guess is all I'm saying when I say that. Yeah. Like, I hope it actually makes things measurable, right? Um, now, when I think about some of those other things, you know, like you and I were talking about this offline some time ago, like the idea of of, of pushing voting, right? Like it, it's going to be interesting how, how that plays out because if players are at the forefront of that, it's going to be a lot of, we need to get out and vote so that we can vote out the current administration, which I'm all for at the same time, at the same time, um, (laughs) it probably puts like even more, it drives home the idea even more that the NBA is a liberal left leaning league, right? Yeah. Even if it's not like, even if you're talking about like voting him out is not a political thing. It's a like human rights thing. It's a human decency thing, whatever the case may be. That's just how it's going to be perceived. So I say all that to say, like, I think, I think those are, those are really interesting um, and measurable things. Right. But um, not, but, but, and I'm interested to see how long-term that action evolves when you talk about, when you talk about, um, how do we how do we put pressure on politicians to do things like in qualified immunity, right? Which is the idea that a police officer cannot be uh, prosecuted for actions that they take while they are employed on the force, right? Or things like um, ending no knock warrants or whatever the case may be, right? Like there was a huge push um, a few years ago after <clears throat> one of the other. Uh, deaths of a of a african-american um, at the hands of a police officer and not long after that it was a huge countrywide push to get uh to get the uh what, what do you call them the video recording things you know on the on their person body cams body cams <clears throat> yep so there was a huge push for that and that was like a nationwide thing. Now, there's been a lot of problems with those, right? Like whether or not people are putting them actually on or they're turning them on when they need to, et cetera, et cetera. At the same time, 
there was a huge push for that. What is going to be that huge push that we see come after all of this stuff? Is it going to be the ending of qualified immunity? Is it going to be uh, the restructuring of police unions? Is it going to be, you know, you know, taking down no knock warrants, right? Because there has to be something actionable that comes out of this and we can look to voting, but there has to be also some things that happen that, that, that make, that make lasting change on the local and national level as it relates to the actual problems that we currently see today when it relates to police uh, brutality. Yeah. Like if the only thing that this accomplishes, it gets more is that it gets more people to vote for these rich white people instead of these rich white people. Yeah. Like it like what, at the end of the day, what change is actually going to happen? Well, the thing is too, like, yeah, I mean, because if you inspire people to vote this year because you really don't like the can- the incumbent candidate, what happens four years from now, right? Exactly. Because what happened when we saw with uh, President Barack Obama is that there was a huge turnout in 2008, huge turnout in 2012. Those intermediary, uh, you know, um, you know, off years for elections and stuff like that, for local elections, there wasn't a huge turnout. Then the, the turnout dropped through the floor during 2016. Uh, so we're in it. We're talking about like there's a chance that all of this could push to really to help out a specific candidate, which I'm all for and I'm behind. I also think we need to look at what are the measurable things. If we do get president, uh, we do get a president Biden uh, Harris um, administration. How are we keeping our foot on there, you know, on or how are we keeping the foot on the pedal and getting them to do the things that we need them to do? in order for us to stop seeing things like we're seeing when it comes to police brutality, when it comes to mass incarceration, when it comes to uh, uh, inmate reentry, right. Or, or convict reentry, however you want to call it. So those things like that. That's, you know, that's very well said, obviously. And the only thing I would add to that is to like the, something that I would like to see, because I, I feel like so much, so much things in our society just go back and forth right. all the time. And it's some, some of the messaging about voting kind of, I think it's like you're saying it, it gets, it's almost like it get, it gets too far. It can be too much misconstrued as just political preference, but um, it would be really cool to see some real changes happen um, and to get, people on board that are not already on board so mm-hmm. to speak yeah so i don't want to just throw up the whole like bipartisan bill but to actually enact change that isn't just going to be changed again if different people assume power yeah right and that's that's the thing with me because because i feel that's where a lot of things especially in our generation uh the past like eight years it's like one administration does one thing the next one comes in and tries to eradicate all those things sure yeah exactly and i think that that is a this presidency type of thing that yeah hopefully the galvanizing of people to get out and vote will change right like i think you have a president you have an administration that tried to eradicate a ton of stuff that the last administration did right everything from uh, everything from specific things related to the to the Affordable Care Act to the pandemic response team and all those different things. Like there's yeah. a, a myriad of things that 
that this president has tried to roll back. And if we're talking about voting this person out, now we have to go the step further of saying, what are the things that we're asking for from a president Joe Biden and a vice president Kamala Harris to make things change, to get things changed. And there's a part of me that does think when you talk about um, somebody like president uh, Joe, a president, a potential president Joe Biden um, versus a current like president, you know, Donald Trump, I think that there is a situation where you're getting, where you will see a number of things rolled back. But I also do think that you will see a Congress, hopefully that gets their stuff together to actually work with this president in a way that they chose not to for the, uh, for uh, president Barack Obama. So that, that's yeah. the hope. We'll see. Yeah. We, uh, big bold letters. We will see. <laughs> and like you said, like, can't take the foot off the gas with a lot of the stuff that needs to change yeah. regardless of who's in office or not. Um, so with that, I guess we will transition to the future and the NBA lottery yeah. happened. The NBA lottery. It's a Christmas day for everybody. Not in the bubble. Exactly. <laughs> right. It's the delete eights big party <laughs> that they had. Right. Um, so do you have any big, takeaways just right off the top off the top man i i didn't watch it because i was like charlotte's got like a six percent chance maybe i think it was less than that sometime like it was super low um and even when we've had higher percentage chances we didn't get you know a a super high draft pick so my mind's like there's nothing to pay attention to because we're not going to get a super high draft pick chances are cleveland's going to get the number one draft pick again you know um, or something like that, you know, or Gore Golden State, who, you know, whatever. Um, and so that was kind of my my thought process. And then all of a sudden, Twitter starts blowing up about how uh, how Minnesota gets the number one pick and uh, Golden State gets the second pick. And then like in most people, when you see the national headlines as like a little byline, Charlotte gets the number three pick. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, dude, I the whole the whole time i didn't watch it like all the sports radio that i was listening to was like yeah well maybe we'll get some luck this year maybe you know i believe it i believe it's gonna happen this year i was like no that's bull it's gonna be the number nine pick every year it's the number nine pick like how many how many years of the past 10 years did we pick a number nine or number 11 or 12 like all the dudes that we've drafted and the guys that we in the times that we've that we picked in the top five it's been the the seasons after the Charlotte franchise was extremely bad, right? When they won seven games, they still didn't get the number one pick right, for right, Anthony exactly. Davis. They drafted MKG. Um, so yeah, no, that that was the same thing for me. I actually saw your text, dude, when when that happened, and I was like, "This is weird." Like, I don't ever remember a Charlotte team getting lucky. Not like lucky, right? Like getting a deserved, like high pick because we were really bad. Yes. Um, And even then, like not getting the number one when we probably should have gotten the number one. You know, there's probably been multiple years where Charlotte should have had the number one pick if they had an NFL style style um, draft, but didn't. Right. But at the same time, like getting lucky, like remember that year that, uh, and this might have been the year they got Kyrie, where Cleveland got the number one pick on like a 0.0% chance, 0.06% like chance um, to get the number one. Yeah, and to get the number one pick, and they got it. And it's like, 
Nah, this is some BS. There's no way. It's this is so all rigged. BS. <laughs> they picked Anthony Bennett. Was that the year they picked Anthony Bennett? I don't. I don't know, man. They. That was ridiculous. There was a year where they literally had, they had like four number one picks on their team. You know. Yeah. Between oh Andrew when Wiggins when LeBron and, came back, they had f- like three out of the last four years that he was gone. They had the number one pick, <laughs> and they got Jermaine Wiggins, Anthony Bennett, Kyrie Irving, Andrew Wiggins. But yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, so yeah, so I that was the biggest takeaway for me is like, man, Charlotte finally got some luck. Minnesota with the number one pick is, I mean, interesting. It's not that surprising. It's kind of like. They were not good this year. No, they weren't good. They're kind of one of those franchises that is a lot like Charlotte, except they never make the playoffs almost. The issue with Minnesota is that they have had... Right. But the issue even more so with Minnesota is that they have had the talent. Like, when when has Charlotte had undeniably, not like just they've had like constructed a decent team, but has undeniably had a lot of really good young talent. When is the last time that you say like they've had a lot of really good young talent on one team at one time? I mean, 93, 95. Like they've constructed, they were still like a couple pieces away from actually building a contender. They've constructed decent teams. Like you you think about even like the Gerald Wallace, like Bobcats, like they were like, you know, eight, seven, eight C or whatever the case may be. Like they're halfway decent teams, but like, Oh, there are young stars on this team. Like Charlotte yeah. hasn't had that. And Charlotte's never in the, the thing about it, Charlotte's never even had a player as good as KG. Right. And forever he was the guy there. Right. right. And now they have, uh, Carl Anthony towns and KG, I, Carl Anthony towns. Um, uh, they had Andrew Wiggins for, for a little bit. Uh, now they've got uh now they got uh D'Angelo Russell like Charlotte has had players the caliber of Andrew Wiggins, just to be clear. Who? I mean Glenn Rice was pretty good. And and for, for you know, for that matter, when you're talking about like well, but okay, so when I talk about when I talk about players that good, I, I'm talking about like when they came into the draft, when they came into the league, everybody was like, this going. might be a guy. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, like like that's that's the kind of what I'm talking superstar about. Right. kind of kind of potential. I get what you're and, saying. And yeah, like outside of not, outside of Kemba, maybe. But Kemba was never looked at as that guy. Exactly. Like he was drafted high, but he wasn't like maybe the only per in the Bobcats Hornets era, the only only person that <laughs> might have had a little bit of that promise was Ameka Okafor. Oh Maybe. yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. he was a big time prospect yes, he when was. he got drafted. He, he was. He never, he never, never ended up being as, as, as good as they thought he could be. Uh, the, but yeah, Minnesota has had some, some dudes on that team over the years, but they've never made that, made that crest. Kind of like, like the Sacramento Kings, like in the late '90s, they had that team. Yes, right. They were very good. They just unfortunately due to some questionable questionable refereeing decisions <laughs> they never got to the place they probably should have gotten to and they were extremely good and those fans can always point back to that team as like man they were that was a great team that we right. had right well like, then here's the other thing too man like when you talk about charlotte the charlotte sports franchises uh the charlotte uh hornets franchise you talk about their luck with drafts and you talk about all those things like that what kind of got me 
and you know, and it started making started to make me doubt if this actually is luck is the idea that a lot of people are saying that this is a terrible draft. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is like, oh yeah, of course we would get the three, the number three pick during a year where there's a terrible draft. Yeah. You know? So that, that's a, that's kind of a good transition point for me. Cause I want to see, do you have any big winners or losers? Of course. Uh, I think, you know, it's undeniable that the, that the Golden State Warriors are probably the biggest winner in this, right? Like whether they got the one one pick or the two pick, right? Like I think if they wanted to pick up somebody that could bolster what they were doing in Golden State, then for pretty cheap relative to the rest of their roster, they could get a big man because that's pretty much a hole that they've had since uh, Andrew Bogut, right? Since Andrew Bogut was gone, right? They've had a hole down in the middle. Who's Who's the big Serbian dude? Or was he Serbian? The guy who played when they had Festus was their guy for a little bit. Festus was like their four. He would play five sometimes. Yeah, true. The big, big, huge guy who had the big, huge eyebrows. I can't remember his name right now. Oh, I don't know. He looked like he was from Eastern Europe. Like, (laughs) well, whoever he was, he didn't really play like a ton. He he was their starting center when they had Steph Clay. KD Draymond in this big huge white dude. And go to basketball reference. Yeah. Well, while you're doing that, I think that's a great answer. My biggest winner is I would say the biggest winner has to be in general has to be Golden State just because of the roster they have returning next year mm-hmm. on top of having a top pick because they have a plethora of options in front of them. They've actually had a long time to kind of plan this out because they probably had a pretty good idea of what, what they were going to have in this draft. So they had a good idea of the prospects and, and who, who was coming into it. You know, Steve Kerr has always been saying this is the first year I've actually gotten to be a part of this process and figure out which guys I liked and which guys that, and have some input on the scouting and evaluation of these, of these draft prospects this year. The other winner, I do think... Are you talking so, about Jonas Drebko? No. Uh-uh. No. Okay. I mean, he was power forward, but I'm I'm going back no, and I just can't Jurebko. find it. No, Yeah. Um, no. So, the, uh, the biggest loser, I think, has to be... Oh, you're talking about Zaza. Yeah, yeah. yeah Zaza. You're talking about Zaza. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He was the Zaza big white Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... So the uh, the biggest loser, I think, has to be the New York Knicks. Oh yeah. Um. As much as much as we as much as we are like lamenting the luck that the Charlotte Hornets have had in the in the lottery, it's almost funny with the Knicks now. The it's Knicks like are clockwork. so bad at being. They're so so good at being bad. Yeah. It's like. So a lot of people like to make fun of Michael Jordan for being like the Michael Jordan of bad owners. But I really think Jim uh, James Dolan right. is the Michael Jordan of bad owners. Like it's hard to it's hard to actually say that Michael Jordan is the worst owner in sport or in basketball when the team has been in the playoffs, you know, yeah. on a number of occasions. Which would allude to, like, if nothing times, else, that he's super mediocre. <laughs> he's very—he's just extremely me- mediocre. I agree with that sentiment. 
But the Knicks, on top of missing out on Zion last year, missing out on KD and Kyrie last year, this year we're like the worst team in basketball other than Golden State. Mm. And they have the eighth pick in this <laughs> in this draft. And, I mean, who knows, man? They, they drafted uh, Chris Stapps back in – then when when they drafted Chris Stapps, everybody thought that was an awful pick. Mm-hmm. And he actually ended up being good. Yeah. So maybe they might do something right. I know that was under Phil Jackson, and he is no longer the president of basketball operations there. But they have to be the biggest loser in all this. Just their last three or four years are terrible, just awful. And if you're a Knicks fan, that's the crazy thing about New York City. I've always heard that you have – People are on two sides for the most part, sports-wise. They like the Mets and the Jets or the Yankees and the Giants, but everybody likes the Knicks. Right. There's not a Brooklyn contingency unless you just moved there in the last three years. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure that the Brooklyn community has kind of adapted to them and and kind of grabbed hold of them a little bit. But I don't know, man. Like I've heard like a lot of like at least prominent people who live in Brooklyn or from Brooklyn are like, nah, I'm Knicks. Yeah, which is hilarious because the Nets have, have done way more than the Knicks have. I, I went to a Nets game one time and at, at the Barclays Arena. Yeah, I heard the stadium is pretty cool. The stadium was pretty cool. It's actually kind of bare bones. It okay. looks really cool from the outside, but inside it's very much just like okay. come to watch a basketball game in this in this yeah, nice it. basketball arena. But the uh, the it was a Thanksgiving Day game, so or it was, it was on Black Friday, so the day after Thanksgiving, against the Portland Trailblazers at the time. And Dame wasn't Dame now. He was a star. Him and CJ played for him. This was 2000, I want to say 17, maybe, 18. Mm-hmm. And it was a pretty good turnout for a November midday NBA game against a Western Conference team that was okay like the the blazers had just gotten rid of or not gotten rid of they didn't re-sign lamarcus aldridge at the time so they were still trying to figure themselves out as a guard dominant team but the the fun the thing was is i was actually kind of impressed at the time i was like okay there's like a decent amount of fans here and i guess you're in such a big market at that point you can just kind of pull people especially on holiday on holiday weekends but the the Nets are such an interesting franchise in in the whole like Brooklyn New York dynamic, but the fact that New York, the Knicks own that city, oh like, yeah, they are they are one of the most valuable professional teams in all of American sports to have Probably won one championship. Maybe all have the they world. won two, two, okay, yeah. two, yeah, two in the seventies, but just yeah, that's it. Yeah, and they're so valuable because of their market. And they keep making these awful decisions. Like they could literally every year trade away picks. Most definitely. Trade away draft picks for current talent in the NBA. Just say, can I, you know, can we get these role players, three and D guys, dudes that can come off the bench and then go out and pitch these, the best free agent that year. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure half the time they would get them. Because they, they would con- the, the free agent would consider them. I don't know yeah, if they would get them the because what we've seen at this point is that free agents are like, nah. 
Well, that's what I'm saying now. I it, if if the Knicks were in an alternate reality where they were actually halfway smart and did things not from this weird, petulant, petty position that James Dolan puts them in, but if they were actually looking at the NBA landscape, looking at player empowerment, mm-hmm. and they said, hey, guys, like, we really, it's it's probably easier for us to be good than it is for us to be this bad. <laughs> like, we are intentionally messing all of this up. Like, we we are so good at being this bad. It's it's mm-hmm. actually impressive. All we need to do is trade for role players and pitch whatever free agent we have that mm-hmm. year until we have a, a roster that is actually capable of making the postseason. We may miss out on some free agents as the Knicks, but we're probably going to get some people, especially if we show that we're willing to trade for current NBA talent that's actually half decent. Oh, yeah. You know, dudes like maybe like Lou Williams, right, or Avery Bradley, or guys like that. If you show you can put together a roster full of guys that can play defense and shoot, and then on top of that say, hey, I don't know, this is is just the first person who popped in my head, but hey, Giannis, look at what we built. Look at our market. Look at how much money you can make here rather than Milwaukee. Come and play here. Mm-hmm. Giannis might say no, but he's probably going to have to consider it. Yeah, he'll take the meeting. Yeah, exactly. And most people would take that meeting, except for right now, because nobody has any faith in that organization. <laughs> and this draft lottery just sums up all of their <clears throat> hilarious blunder over the past few years. So biggest winner, Golden State, biggest loser, the New York Knicks. And I think that Charlotte, the Charlotte Hornets are a winner in this draft. Huge winner. And I have a I have a very specific reason why. Other than the historic nature of it for the local market being like the first time they've ever gotten this lucky at anything. The or I think they've moved up in the lottery like three or four times in their franchise's mm-hmm. history, meaning dating back to 88. <clears throat> the this I what this does for the current administration is it pays off the sign and trade move they did for Terry Rozier. Because everybody hated that move at the time because it's like, why would you do that when you can just be really bad to get yourself in the mm-hmm, top four, mm-hmm. top five? They're there anyways right now because of luck. Right. And so now I don't know if, if his contract is contract is going to let them trade him before this coming season, but he is another piece on top of the guys they already have there. They have like a 30-win team right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, essentially, that was probably where they would have ended up if if the season would have played out like it normally does. But if a team needs a backup point guard, they have a trade piece. Mm-hmm. And not somebody and they have somebody coming in who can who they can trade or something that's going to help to build around somebody. 
Does that make sense? It does. I, I am curious to know who you think would be somebody to trade to Charlotte. Well, I don't, I mean, I don't have any trades in mind specifically. And like I said, he's on a three-year deal right now going into the second year of that deal. Mm -hmm. So the contract isn't super tradable right now for what he is. Mm -hmm. Like he is a spot starter, a backup point guard who can score a lot off the bench. And here in the net, probably next summer, he's going to be very tradable. So whoever needs a, an extra guy, like a, a glue guy coming off the bench mm. or even a team that's contending that needs an extra backcourt guy. Yeah. To, to maybe start some games. Um, I think I'm any thinking, trade would have to include Nick Batum. I don't care if he's in his last year or not. Like oh yeah. Him. I mean, if you have, if, to, you have to take him, I think his contract's up. I think this was his last year. Oh really? I don't praise God. Sure. Yeah. Um, or it's like the, the team had a team option for next year, which they will not pick up. Right. I thought it was a player option. Nah, dude. He, I, like the team, I mean, maybe you could be right. (laughs) The team wasn't even playing him this past year. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just sad times. Um, so. I think I think it makes that trade look a lot better now. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't because, make it look terrible. Yeah, he came in and I felt like he actually offered. He had some good performances this year. Nothing like great. Like he didn't like he didn't put the team on his back this season or mm-hmm. anything crazy. Devonte Graham actually did did that more so, but he showed his worth in some performances, and he showed that he could still be somewhat of a di- dynamic scorer in specific situations. The So that is why I love it for Charlotte, on top of the fact that it just feels so weird. Like, I, I don't ever remember feeling like this. Other than, like, one year they had a protected pick from Detroit that they got in a trade. Yeah. And it didn't – it ended up falling to them. Like they didn't go higher in the lottery. So Charlotte got to keep it. I was like, Oh, that's cool. We actually got lucky. Uh, this time it feels like, Holy crap. Like we, like we moved up into the top four. <laughs> so who do you, who do you want? Like, have you done much, much, uh, draft, uh, analysis or draft, uh, sifting through, through what, what's available. Like, cause everybody yes. knows, of course, this is the LaMelo ball draft, right? Like he's a point guard. That's, currently six seven people some people think he might get up to six nine yeah he is uh he is interesting man i've actually done some research and i am not an nba scout of course yeah i pretty much got out of the game when um i was like super sold on hashim the beat and that didn't (laughs) i was i was i was a hashim i'm not you know i'm not ashamed to admit it i was a hashim the beat guy and uh and when that did been i was like well damn i don't know anything who did he get drafted who did he get drafted in front of i was like didn't the thunder draft him and the thunder the thunder made so many good draft choices but he was like their one bad pick (laughs) oh man and they picked him in front of somebody who's like really good now 
Uh, yeah, he was drafted by. Yeah, he was second pick. He was second pick in the 2009 draft. Who went after him? I'm trying to, I'm trying to see. Well, anyways, I am, I am, I am torn. So, uh, the word on the street with a lot of people is nobody agrees on any of these guys as being the the number one overall yeah, like prospect. a savior. Oh, James yeah. Harden went third. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it was the opposite. So yeah, he went he to got Memphis. Drafted, yeah, the he beat got drafted Memphis. by Memphis, and then James Harden went right after him. Okay, so um, yeah. So at of the the research I've done, I am kind of on the fence. Like of the guys I've watched, Anthony Edwards looks like the most prototypical NBA two guard can take you off the bounce, can hit you with a step mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. He is athletic. He can dunk. He's He's got all the tools, so to speak, to me. A lot of people say the same thing, right? A lot of people are mocking him to Minnesota. And I think that he, from, from what I've seen as far as the game, uh, the the tape and stuff, he's the guy who sticks out as like, Oh, you look like James Harden. Like you look mm, like mm. Dwayne Wade in his prime at, as a guard on the perimeter, being able to score inside and outside. Yeah. But he's not a sure thing. A lot of people question his motor and his defense. Uh, the motor thing is funny. His his consistent play from his consistent effort from play to play, I guess is his motor. Um but he is he's an interesting guy. I like his smoothness. LaMelo Ball is the probably the most interesting player in this whole draft. You think he's the most interesting? Yeah, because okay. he he has some uh credible NBA scouts saying he is the best prospects in this draft. He he could end up being an all-star future star right but he has people on the opposite end who are like his shot is broke it's not i wouldn't touch him especially with his dad and which what i didn't know is that the australian team he was on got worse when he was on the floor yes (laughs) and he was playing in australia yeah that's the that's the thing like with luca is luca was playing in the second best league in the world and mm-hmm. he was the MVP of that league. Right, right. You know, like LaMelo Ball was playing in Australia and flashed, but he never really right. dominated like he probably should have if he if he was to be like the savior of like if he's going to come in if if the Charlotte Hornets drafted LaMelo Ball third overall that rhymes and he came in and was immediately the best player on his on his team. It would probably mean that he has gotten a lot better since the last time he played mm. in professional games, right? Like he would probably have to have to learn some things, don't you think? Yeah, I just want the Hornets to have the Rookie of the Year. That's kind of what I would appreciate right now. But Michael Carter Williams was the Rookie of the Year. I understand that. More often than not, the rookie of the year is is not trash. And then he's yeah, not that, trash, that is true. You know that saying. is true. 
I mean, for the most part, the rookie of the year pans out. I would love a a, a really strong center. You know what I mean? So James Wiseman? Uh, well, Wiseman, there, some people are talking about Wiseman not actually like going very high. Like right now, Bleacher Report okay. has, has a draft guide where they're talking about Obi Topin from Dayton being one of the highest actual centers, like who's, you know, at about seven feet. Yeah. He, Obi Topin is, is, um, one of those four year guys mm-hmm. in college. Right. And that's kind of the other piece is like you, you've been there for a long time. And then the guy from uh, USC, uh, Okongwu. Yeah. Uh, he's a center, but he's six, nine. So it's like, I think a lot gotta, of people like him. He's we gotta, like, a, we got enough of those. We got enough of six, nine guys. And every well, time we draft one of those kinds of guys, it doesn't pan out. Everybody's comparing him to Bam Adebayo, who's like the new. But every time we've we've drafted that guy, it hasn't panned out. No, of course that not. That was that was MKG. That was uh, the myriad not, of white guys. Like <laughs> it was no, it was Cody Zeller. Um, who was that? Who was that kid? He played at Indiana, and we traded him to Portland. Um. Noah oh, Vonley. Yeah, Vonley. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's him. That's what I see yeah. on paper. It's him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get that. I get that. But a lot of scouts like him. They say he's he's a safe pick, kind of like one of those sure thing right. type deals. I I watched tape on James James Wiseman too. James Wiseman, he is he's really athletic. Like he's kind of got like a really good touch with the ball and mm-hmm, offense. Mm-hmm. But on defense. For a big man, he he does block shots sometimes, but sometimes he like gets like bodied at the rim. Yeah, like he'll get like dunked on pretty bad. So he he is definitely a question mark, along with the fact that he played like two games of college basketball. So there's not a lot to see him like develop in. Like something that I love, like PJ Washington when the Hornets drafted him. He, he stayed in college to develop his three-point shot, and it showed in his rookie year in the league. He was a pretty efficient shooter for his size, three-point shooter for his size. So seeing those dudes like with uh, that are gym rats and show that they have the capability to keep getting better, I think is extremely important. Right. But the Lamella ball question is weird because if he – these boomer bus guys are, oh, well, I guess I'll frame it like this. The NBA draft is so interesting because every pick, it, they call it the lottery for, for a reason because these teams, there's like a chance they could move up and down and stuff like that. But in my mind, every pick in like the first round essentially is like a lottery ticket, right? Mm, yeah. Because if you get, Kawhi Leonard at 14, he can change your franchise forever, right? Like, right. If you get Steph at seven or Clay Thompson at 11, I think was where he was picked or, or he was picked at maybe nine or something like that. These guys can pan out and turn into generational talents. And I, I feel like all, the NBA draft, a lot of the stuff is up in the air with each and every pick you know yeah most of the number third overall pick you're supposed to have a better chance of getting an all-star caliber player this draft is so weird because all the all these 
guys who break down prospects are so split on a lot of the people in the draft. Like I've heard people say Halliburton is like the best guy. And he is, he played at Iowa state. Mm. His J looks weird. It's like he, he doesn't jump, he doesn't jump or anything. <laughs> it's, it's really interesting, man. There's no J to his actual J. Yeah. And um, like, like if you look at the ringers, big board they have killian hayes is the best overall prospects in the draft but a lot of people aren't mocking him anywhere near the top three right and i just bleacher report has killian down at like four yeah it's everybody's kind of so split on things and remember who's the guy who who got drafted by utah a couple a few years ago same draft as marcus smart he's from australia Mm. Is he still still in the league? I don't think he's still with Utah. No, I don't know where he is now. But he was that same kind of guy where he was like sort of sort of Killian Hayes's uh you know size, and um did fairly decent overseas. But he came here and more or less was was a bust. Like wasn't a bust. You know, like he was a decent player, but like didn't live up at all to to. Uh, to what he could have been or what people were projecting him to be. And that's the tough thing about like these Euro guys is you just don't know. Kind of like uh Darko Milicic. You remember him? <laughs> yeah. Who has a championship? That's crazy. Or Adam Morrison. <clears throat> um, Who has the, more than one championship. Yeah. He, he, <laughs> he, he was a hardcore bench rider for those Lakers teams. Um, one guy I was interested in was Tyrell Terry. He played at Stanford and he's undersized, but he can shoot like a veteran NBA mm. shooter like Stafford. His shot looks a lot like Steve Nash's did. His footwork and everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So like if you if you go watch his film, he looks really good from behind the arc. Now, there's a lot of questions to his game, which is why he's not mocked super high. But I just feel like the overall sense with these prospects is it's almost better to be. It's kind of funny that the this is the draft the Hornets are so high because I feel like this is the draft. It's almost better to be at that seven, eight and nine spot. Right. Because you don't have to feel that pressure of taking the be- the most potential. You can pick. All right. This is the best shooter in this draft right and here he is we're gonna take him and whatever else he can give us in his game other than this is just icing on top right but this is why we're drafting this guy or this is the best on ball perimeter defender in this draft and we're taking him at nine which is interesting like that you even say that because i i tried to look up who who i was talking about and i was actually talking about dante exum he was drafted in 2014 I do remember him. The 2014 draft had Andrew Wiggins at the top, had Jabari Parker at number two, had Joel Embiid at number three, right? Had Aaron Gordon at four, Marcus Smart. So, like, this might be one of those things where you have a draft full of role player guys. This is the same draft with Gary Harris, Tyler Ennis, uh, TJ Warren, Zach Levine, Doug McDermott. TJ Warren might be... He might be a stud, man. You know what I'm saying? So, like, you've got, like, a lot of guys where, like, but TJ Warren went 14 to the Suns. You know what I'm saying? So, like, you've got, like, a lot of guys where 
if you were picking further down the road, you might end up in a situation where you get a guy who could be a great, um, could be a great role player for, for your, for your basketball team. Yeah. And, and that's great. Like if you, if you pick a dude, like if you pick a guy at 10, somebody like Giannis or Kawhi who has all these measurables and nobody really knows about the same way that you do. Cause you've done all this work on him and you say like, Oh, this guy, we don't know what he could be, but we do know he'll at least be able to play defense right. and we know he works hard and maybe he could end up being an all-star one day. And then he goes out and he works himself it into being an all NBA player like those dudes did. Hmm. It's almost like I almost feel like in this draft, I don't envy the Knicks because of everything else going on there. Right. But if the Hornets were in that position, like they've always been with all these other drafts, then it's, it almost seems like it's a little bit better because you can get a dude like Obi Toppin later or right. just a, a great role. A guy who comes in and his floor is a great role player. For your team. Right. Like it, I think when you're at three, you're in a position this year, at least where if at three LaMelo ball drops to you, it kind of is an immediate stain on you for not taking him. Isn't it? If he's good. Well, well I mean, I'm like with what we know right now, and you're talking about you get to number three, the number three pick is a lot of people are talking about LaMelo at one, right? If you get to the number three pick and he is still on the board, but you still have all these other guys who you would kind of want to try to take a flyer on, you kind of have to take LaMelo, right? From our perspective, that's what it seems like. Like you would, you would have to, even though like there could be other people where you're like this, this guy has a much you know better upside from the standpoint of being a good role player. But everybody would look yeah. at that as a terrible pick if you didn't pick Lamelo if he was still there at three. Yeah, it's like the you pick if you pick the guy with the higher floor than Lamelo, it looks bad because right. of the situation the franchise is in. Right, exactly. You know, in the fact that Lamelo does have the size, length, and a lot of people say the wiggle, he's got the handles mm-hmm. and the passing ability to really build himself up as this all-time great offensive player, potentially, you know, he has a lot to work up to a lot of work to do to get to that point. Right. So the, there is a lot of upside, but it's, it's not fulfilled yet. Right. Exactly. Potential. Um, This is not, when was it? 2018. This is not that draft. Right. <laughs> when the you had Luca and Trey Young and all those dudes, right? Or even last year with Zion and John Morant in the top two, right? Right. That's what you know. And so I think this could be a 2014 type draft, right? Yeah. Where you're you're you can get a decent role player, um. But this is this you know. But the hope is that the hope is that. Maybe it's not. Maybe this is like one of those things where the person who who makes the most sense at whatever number you're picking is the person you should pick, right? 
maybe Anthony Edwards, if he falls to us, we just need to take him. Even though when you talk about an Anthony Edwards versus uh, a uh, Devontae Graham, like they, there may be some competition there because they both are guards that need the ball in their hands. So, you know, you know, what does that, what does that end up looking like from a, from a basketball standpoint? Well, you know, if you want like a run and gun type of situation, like you have with the, with the uh, trailblazers, then maybe that's perfect. But yeah. And the Charlotte Hornets, Mitch Kupchak has been very vocal about they do not have the luxury to pick players based off of their position. (laughs) And I think that's smart, man. Like that's (laughs) like staying in your lane, like knowing what you need, like self-assessment, knowing what you're good at, knowing what you need. Like let's just pick the, the best player that is available right now. Yeah. Like, we know that we do not have a anything close to a, to an all NBA type player right now. Right. Like he said, why would we trade for somebody or pick somebody that right now that would win us maybe two or three games more? We need somebody who's going to win us fifteen to twenty games more. Mm. And potentially, I, like yeah, let's take the swing. Yeah, exactly, and that and. Overall, that's been the frustration over the years, right? They didn't draft dudes like, uh, you know, like Bull Bull last year. Right. They could have drafted him in the second round. They didn't. It was kind of dumb because it's a second-round pick, right? Right. But then their second-round pick actually ended up being really good in uh, Cody Martin. Right. And it's kind of like, well, okay, like, you're doing good at what you have been doing. You don't have the best young team in the league right now, but you have some young players to build off of who you can maybe trade for other pieces down the line if you need to. Right. But that doesn't mean this number three pick should be subject to Devontae Graham or Terry Rozier or PJ Washington because you just need the best players you can get at this point. 100%. Yeah. So, man... I think we solved the mystery of the Charlotte draft. We both want them to draft who? I don't know. I think just I'm like I did with the uh, with the uh, NBA playoffs. I'm gonna go chalk on it. If he falls to us, let's get Lamelo Ball. If he's there, let's get uh, Anthony Edwards. Um, there's a part of me that likes big men in basketball, so give me like a true center who can who can you know do what he does right. Like I want the next you know, you know, Giannis or, or whomever, even like a, somebody who works hard, but you know, like a, um, but you know, a working hard version of Joel Embiid, but you know, yeah, that that would be hilarious. Yeah. You know, but outside of that, like what if Charlotte, so last point, what if when golden state drafted Steph Curry, it wasn't like people didn't see his talent at the time. It was in the NBA at the time, people didn't see the future mm. and what Steph Curry's talent would translate into. And Golden State saw that and they made that move, right? Mm-hmm. And they mm-hmm. built around him and they built this team that could score and defend and was just great. What if Charlotte did the same thing in this draft and they said, you know what? Everybody else is zigging. We're going to zag. We're going to build our team in the front court two points baby 
all points in the paint in mid range. I mean, I and guess you could. Our our shot efficiency is going to be so good. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you could, but I guess you could, but I do think that like I don't know, man. I guess you could because. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you could, I, but honestly, like I was, I was going, I was right? going through the draft, the draft um, projections, and like was trying to find the tallest projected white guy. I mean, like that's who we're gonna pick. That's who Charlotte's gonna pick. I don't know, know, man. Because that's, that's show just, isn't you know, there anymore. That's very true. That's very true. And you know, that's the saving grace. It's like, okay, Mitch Kupchak, let's see what you got, man. Like, you know, you were over there in Los Angeles. Let's bring Jeez. some of that magic over here. But like. Please just don't, don't like, let's not do anything crazy. You so know I mean? you think, you think that they're going to pick Denny, Denny Avea. Yeah. Essentially. <laughs> Cause he is like this big white. So he's, it's yeah, the guy from, from uh, overseas, right? Yeah. From Turkey. Yeah. Turkey. Yeah. He, so it's not, who knows? like, you know, like maybe he, he's going to be turned out to be like the guy, but like the, the, the thing is like the thing about Denny Avea is he could end up being this a great NBA player. Yeah. He could be but Chris the fact Stapps. That, that one of his main player comps is Nick Batum. Yeah, no. Tells me <laughs> that Charlotte should not draft him. Like that's like a bad omen no, for me. No. I remember when we gave Nick Batum that contract and was thinking like this isn't going to be good. It wasn't see that's the thing, right? If another team did that it would be like, oh, that was interesting. But Charlotte giving a big contract to a guy like that who played, he was pretty good that year. He was pre- That was the reason why I had an issue with it, because he was good that one year. Yeah, it was his contract year. Exactly. Playing to make and we money. gave him a lot of money based off of a contract year. Yeah, because when small market teams find something, they have to invest in it. Right. And that was Otherwise, the year that the, that the cap shot through the roof. Yeah, exactly. And it was uh, obviously that was the year Tyler Johnson got like like 50 yeah. million guaranteed from the Miami Heat. Um I actually no, know his cousin. His cousin Oh, really? A, his his cousin is a campus pastor at our church. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. We went well, to see his brother play at uh at ECU cuz his brother plays for Cincinnati. And uh, he they were playing ECU. Besides besides the point. I was like when he told me he was like, "Yeah, man, my cousin's Tyler Johnson." I'm like like plays for the Miami Heat, like, yeah. <laughs> it's like well, we don't really. It's like first cousins too. Like they know each other. Well, he's got a lot of money now. <laughs> um, but yeah. So the fact that Denny Avea's big player comp is Nick Batum made me think like he might end up being good, but Charlotte should not pick him. No, don't touch him. That's the case. And that's the thing where it's like, okay, we have the third pick in the draft. Don't do anything cute. Just literally pick the person who right now is projected the highest of whoever is left. Just do that. And if you don't do that, if Mitch Kupchak, so say Lamelo is there or Anthony Edwards is there at three, and they pick somebody else, the player that they pick has to end up being like an all-star. Has to. <laughs> Otherwise, it, it's just going to be same old song and dance. For the Charlotte Hornets. So, man, I think that's it. What do you think? I, I think we got it. I think we solved it. They got to pick <laughs> Lamella Ball, who can pass the 
pass the rock to Devontae Graham and PJ Washington. And it'll be a wrap. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Hodgepot today. Once again, my name is David Hodge. This was our official episode one, not a pilot episode. So I look forward to bringing some great content to you soon. Wanted to dive into some the soccer world, both USA and international European soccer. I love it personally. Maybe eventually get to some college sports and some baseball. Uh, so yeah, look forward to talking with you soon and creating some episodes for you. If you guys want to find me on Instagram, my Instagram handle is at Hajito88. That is at H-O-D-G-I-T-O-8-8. And eventually, I'm sure I am going to have some additional great places you can find me. But that's a great place to start. So once again, guys, thank you so much. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Bye.